0: thing, right? Because a couple generations above me, older than me, say these really quaint little things like, don't get into debt, um, which I imagine in their generation was possible. <laughs> um, but uh, in, in this day and age, this is something that uh, many or most uh, people face. We have two children, well, they're almost young adults now, 18 and 16, I won't name who, and I'm not going to pay them two knees. Um One of them, if he owes us money, which happens occasionally, though occasionally we owe him money, if he owes us money, he, he can't handle it. And, you know, says things like, take this now. I'm, you know, I've got 35 cents here. Take this, put it towards what I owe you. Or can you take me to the bank and can we get out money because I don't like owing you money. That's one of them. The other one doesn't seem to have that particular struggle. Uh, And we need to do the reminding. doesn't seem to carry any angst at all. So which is it for you? As I put the word dead up on the screen, what does it make you feel? If you come to church, uh, you know, week after week or on any occasion, I'm not saying this has to happen all the time, but it should happen sometimes you should feel that what you are doing, what you're engaged in here, is in some ways very different than you know the way of the world. And certainly around this word, that can be the case. The Christian gospel in the book of Romans, that God has turned towards us, and as we get to chapter 13, we're talking about living in the light of the gospel. And I'd like you to memorize verse 8 of chapter 13. Would you do that? You should do it for you, but if you have to do it for me, that'd be fine. And I'll test you next week. What's uh, what's verse 8? And you can memorize it in any translation you choose, or almost any. In the ESV, owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves has fulfilled the law. Let no debt remain outstanding in some of your translations. I liked uh, the message version of it. There is a debt that you will never pay. But when I say that, you all of a sudden start feeling, oh no, because we live in North Vancouver. There is a debt that you will never pay, but becoming aware of the fact that you have this debt over you will lead you to feel good, not bad, will lead you to feel free, not hemmed in, and will lead you to be able to walk out into this world feeling free from some of those things that can weigh you down. You have before you, every one of you, a debt that you will never repay. And our response to that, like the reading of the word, you have a debt that you will never repay. Thanks be to God. So maybe when you see that word, it takes on a little bit of different meaning. It's a very different word in Christian faith. Because the word debt will refer to the debt we have of love to one another. The Christian gospel is that God has turned towards us, not away from us. And the question that we ask ourselves and ask in prayer is who is the God who meets us in Jesus Christ? God has chosen not to be God without us. And Jesus is the fullness, the representation, the exact representation, as we'll read later in the sermon, of the character of God. If you have seen Jesus, you have seen the Father and what was jesus command to us love one another that jesus turning towards us is an act of love that we are saved by the love of christ not even by the perfection of christ it is his love that has made him turn towards us and there should be no christian statement and i i could, you know we could work through churches and see you know what have we put on the walls and because we really Often churches buy into, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, it can be helpful, but we buy into the ways of the world in terms of business and whatever. So what's our vision statement or what's our mission statement and all of these things. Um, There should be no Christian vision or mission statement. No declaration of work that can be declared without this focus on love for one another. Living in the light of the gospel means one thing above all else. It means love one another. We have acquired our worth from the fact that God loves us, and then we seek to love God and one another in response. But love in our world today is seen often in many places. I don't know if this would be the case in your workplace. It can be the case in many areas. Love is often seen as naive or weak or not youthful. You can think of places where people would say, I think we should really love one another, and they would receive sneers in response. Try it at a strata meeting. No, don't. You'll never see on a list of accomplishments, you know, a CV or a, that. And I, and I'm not saying you should, but it's just curious. You'll never see that anything about their capacity to love. What have they accomplished in life? And what do you think of your accomplishments in life? What are they? And if I were to ask you them, you would begin to list them to me. Your job your awards, right, your level of education, maybe some athletic endeavor. And as a Christian, well, first of all, as just a friend or a person, I would think that's great and I would be, I would be pleased for you and I might even think you're something, maybe. But the Christian part of my character, that, or that, it's not the Christian part of my character, but the fact that I am a Christian, I would also carry with me, those are wonderful, but the real accomplishments for the Christian are always accomplishments of love. This is why our greatest evangelism and our greatest commission about making disciples is summed up in this greatest witness, always, always, always love. Love understood in the light of the gospel. Hear this. You might have to wrestle with it in your thought, but it's, that's okay. Love understood in the light of the gospel is a protest against the form of this world. You don't like the way the world is working? You have issues with whatever it is in terms of politics or culture or media or whatever. You have one response as a Christian, one protest, love. You have, unfortunately, taken up other forms of protest. And I ask you simply, what have those led to? Love is a form of protest against the form of this world and here's what i mean a politician you could picture this in the united states right now in what has become a comic book primary season if i was watching for entertainment value or you know political consideration thinking historically is anything ever like this like this ever happened before i might be interested or even laugh but it's actually happening and crowds are being riled up not to love one another at all but to hate one another and sometimes in the name of Christ. All you have to do is ask yourself how Jesus treated the other, and then listen to the rhetoric about the fear of the other. You can't get a story like Jesus and the Samaritan woman and and take that in what's currently happening. Picture in this kind of context, in this climate, what would happen if on one of those debate stages, somebody said, we, somebody said, well, you know what we really need? We need to love one another. In fact, it happened, and I won't say on what side, but the individual who said it was mercilessly mocked. He said that families act out of love for their children, and he was mocked and portrayed as weak and ridiculous. Because we don't need love. We need strength. Now the hard part is, sometimes that's even what congregations want. Don't talk to me about love. We need somebody who can get things done. As if those are two different things. Love calls, why would it be mocked? Because love calls for self-sacrifice. And it is when someone is talking about Strength and winning. People see that as a weakness, self-sacrifice. But this is particularly Christian. That this is where strength lies for the Christian. In self-sacrifice. This is the heart of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Emptied himself of all but love. And in doing that, that is the strength of Jesus Christ. But you still want victory by some other means. And you want somebody to be defeated. We have the cross. As long as we have this as a symbol of our faith, we should never, never be thinking that the way we will achieve, we won't achieve them anyway, but the way that Jesus will achieve His work in the world will be through defeating, winning as we understand it. This is how he came. Everything in the text is summed up in one word, love. Love your neighbor as yourself. In a church, we could ask ourselves, how should I live? What should I believe? What should I do? And as soon as I say, like, what should I do? You start to think, and you've, you struggle with this, right? Should I have watched this movie? Should I have done this thing? Should I have taken up this form of behavior? And, and it's moral questions, and they're, they're good questions. They're important questions. But the Christian answer to what shall I do or what shall we do is always the same. What's the answer? What shall we do? Answer, love thy neighbor. Well, that doesn't quite make sense. And so you even think about your individual morality in a very self-centered way. Are you you performing the right things morally? But morality in Christian scripture will have most often to do with neighbor. And so the text says, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal. There are other ways of saying, in particular circumstance and context, simply saying this, what should I do? Well, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal. In other words, what should I do? Love thy neighbor. The text will say, love works no ill to neighbor. And you can see how this is revolutionary. Our world runs on competition and defeating others and having more than other people. It's often called the brother-in-law rule, right? You don't have to make that much as long as you make more than your brother-in-law and you'll feel okay. Love works no ill. There is in our world a cycle of revolution and reaction. And you can see it in the world of politics. Now they're in charge. Now the other side's in charge. And all the promises that the world will just be a better place because they're in charge, what happens? It's a cycle of revolution and reaction. But follow me for a moment with this thought. Love sets up no idol. You need to know this in your life. Love sets up no idol. There's no idol set up in love. So, let's take, we've spoken about politics. Let's take an idol of liberalism or conservatism. And so we're bound and determined to go in a particular way. This can happen in churches, it can happen in society. And that idol being set up prevents me from loving someone else as I should, particularly someone who thinks differently than I do. But true love sets up no idol. So that in this place, though I may have, and I think I do, very different political views than some of the people that I worship with. I will not set that up as an idol. Because if I do, I can't love well. You owe the same to one another. And you owe the same to me. Love doesn't enter into competition so it can't be defeated. (laughs) You hear that? Love doesn't enter into competition so it can't be defeated. And I look at Jesus Christ, I think of what he did in going to the cross, and I think, what if he took our approach? There's a, and I've done a terrible job drawing this, but I'm neither artistic nor techie. Um, And you can think of it, the the old desert fathers, this was a a guy, uh, Dorotheus, talked about Christian love, and he said, take a compass. So those of you, you know, most of you are old enough that, You didn't have um, iPads in your class, but you had those compasses, those metal things that you drew the circle with. And draw a perfect circle. And now put right, you've got to do this perfectly, put, which I haven't done, put right in the center of that circle a dot. And this desert father said, the circle is the world and that center is God. And we become the spokes on the wheel, so to speak. And the only way to get close to God, the only way to get close to God is to get close to one another. It's an impossibility otherwise. Emptied himself of all but love and poured contempt on all my pride. Jesus wished and worked no ill, but had rather love for all. And you must, over all of your views, culturally, politically, religiously, morally, put the test of love over them. And if your views are preventing you from loving somebody else... You must examine yourself. Or you change the cross to say, well, he didn't really love all people. He loved people like me. Love is the reality by which we know God. I would say the only reality by which we know God, but we make mistakes on this. We make some errors in the Christian faith thinking that we can know God by other means. And so, sometimes, um, I'll move that for you, Bart. We, We make errors thinking that we can know God by other means. So, there's various things that we take up in this endeavor. Knowing God by rules or measuring up or becoming acceptable or succeeding religiously or financially, whatever it might be, whatever kind of grade we grade ourselves and one another on becoming successful spiritually. This is what First John 4 says, the person who does not love, and I wrote it this way intentionally, the person who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, you can try something else. You can take scripture and say, well, there is that, but there's also this other thing. No, there's not. There is judgment, but judgment always fits into love. There's no balance. God forgive us for thinking that love has to be balanced by something else. That's a real misunderstanding. If love needs to be balanced by something else, there's no Jesus going to the cross. Because that is the most unbalanced activity you can possibly do. Give your life for the lives of those who had no interest in you. Love is the reality by which we know God, but if we try something else, we get into trouble. So we try being morally right as opposed to love, at times as opposed. These aren't exclusive, but we can make them exclusive. So in the world today, this still happens today, when people think church, they often think religion, right? And they think, well, you people, what's really important to you is follow rules. You might even have some friends who think, well, I couldn't possibly go to church because I've really messed up my life or, you know, I do bad things or something like that. Because they think church is the place where people do good things and then uh, and look down on those who don't. It's a character; It's not the reality. But there's this view that what the church is about is moral uprightness. Now, if you participate in church for any period of time, and thanks be to God, I think we're getting there at Sutherland, you realize, no, this isn't actually about moral uprightness. We're all a wreck. But we love one another and we love God. And we are seeking to be good. But we accept that we are sinners. But if you make moral uprightness, moral certainty, the first thing that you go after in knowing God, well, you'll run into trouble. In the New Testament... Number two, there's another thing that can wrongly take priority over love and that's spiritual ecstasy. 1 Corinthians 13 is this beautiful chapter on love but it is a correction as well and the correction is this. Nothing else is first. In fact, you can take some very good things. Morality and seeking to live a good life or spiritual depth and ecstasy. Good things. You can take good things but if you take those good things and put them first, they're not really good things anymore. Isn't that something? Yet it's curious to me that most of the stories that ministers hear declare often one of these two categories. Look at how much this community changed. You know, they started following the rules or they, you know, stopped going to whatever bad things. God really showed up. Or look at this spiritual awakening, the Holy Spirit came in power and all these things happened. And we hear these stories and I don't dislike them. But they're not first. We don't have to wonder what happened when God showed up. God showed up and this really changed. No. God showed up and this happened. That's it. Now I'll listen to you about those other things, but always through this first. Listen about Jesus. Change the order here a bit. The sun is... Beautiful language here, isn't it? The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And what did Jesus Christ do for you? He gave his life. He turned to you in love. The sun turns to us in love and we are challenged to turn to God in love and to one another. In fact... 1 Corinthians 13, that chapter which talks about these moral certainties and spiritual ecstasy, says this. Tell me all the things you want about being right, doing good, or being caught up in spiritual ecstasy. This is Paul. And if love is not first, then those very things that you're interested in, in fact, could lead to greater separation and frustration. In fact, he says they will sound like, you know the words, right? Whoops, behind here. A resounding gong. I don't know how many times you have to hear a gong for it to offend your ears. For many people, it's once. We used to have a thing, the gong show. Stop, because something more hideous than your performance has happened, and it's that gong. And that's the language Paul takes up in describing when we put even good things before love. It's like a resounding gong. Now, it might sound to you like I've been a little bit harsh. But let me turn it a little bit and say, I am deeply grateful that in a congregation like this, there are people who long for moral certainty and goodness in the world and take it up as somewhat of a cause. We need you. And I don't want you to stop. My challenge to you simply would be always ensure, as much as in your power, that love comes first. Same thing with spiritual ecstasy. Many of you have never really, like I even use the word spiritual ecstasy and you go, what is that? Because you've never felt the power of the Holy Spirit come in your life in such a way that you are just overwhelmed. And you have visions, or you fall down, or you're caught up in prayer, or you weep, or you laugh, or something like this. And many of you who have never experienced that. Maybe there's a degree to which you should. But you understand, as soon as I say that, if it sounds like this, you should. See what's happened? I've put the ecstasy before the love. But maybe it's there for you. And there are people in our community who can help you with that. Because they have a spirituality that is more given to these kinds of things. But I would challenge all of us in this. Always love first. And if you find that those things that you're interested in most are pushing you away from other people, please use this test. If these things that you're most interested in are pushing you away from other people, I know what you've had to do in your mind. You've had to explain to yourself how they're wrong. And love will challenge you on that. So that's why it's good that we are together in a community where there's different political views, different religious and spiritual experiences. And the only thing that can bind us together is love, loving one another, seeking to do that like Christ loved us first. I'm getting worked up, but so is Paul in the text. He gets to verse 11 and he says, and Tierney read it well, he says, Wake up! We're pretty long into the sermon now, so it's a good time. Wake up! But Todd seems worked up about something. I missed the last few points. Paul says, you're in this daze. You're in this darkness. You're in this darkness of appetite, in this case, self-indulgence. And so you get these vivid words. Tierney read a different translation, but in the ESV and in other languages, it says things like orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality, it actually also includes quarreling and jealousy. I think in Tierney's reading it said nonstop bickering, right? There's one word that sums all of this up, and that word is flesh. Wake up from thinking that your life will be determined by making yourself feel good all the time, whatever that means. Winning arguments, right? Because you can feel good temporarily when you win an argument. I like it. I really like it, actually. You can feel good when you give in to sexual immorality. All of these things are flesh. They're you saying to yourself, well, I know that, and that's why I watch out for this language, I deserve something in the world. I'm going to indulge. I'm not speaking against every kind of pleasure, for sure. Scripture says we're to have abundant life. But if you live your life serving the flesh, that's what Paul is saying. You need to wake up from that. But for us as a religious community, we need to translate that to say, what are the religious kinds of things that we're seeking to correct others on or whatever that we need to wake up from? Maybe some quarreling and jealousy. And if you think of Rome at the time, the church to which this letter was being written, all of these things were possible. Orgies and drunkenness and sexual immorality and sensuality, right? They were all close at hand. Now, that's a parallel to our culture now. You don't even have to leave your house to just indulge in virtually anything you want. You can simply satisfy your flesh, and then that will be taken over with its own energy and course. And it's against that that Paul says, Wake up! It's actually not giving those things too much credit. And that's what we do sometimes. We, you know... break break them into these huge things like if you do this, you know, the devil will get you. There's some truth that the devil is lurking to this that's scriptural. But in this context, it's it's basically saying why are you playing around in ridiculous flesh-driven activities? Why are you lazy? Why are you self-indulgent? Why are you taking the easy way? How hard is it really to live for yourself? Wake up. Don't get stuck there by indulging and don't get stuck there by the religious means of becoming preoccupied with how bad everybody else is, how terrible the world is, and becoming aware more of the darkness than of the light. I pray this in in my prayer life consistently. I want to be aware first of the light. I am aware that there is darkness in this world, but the light of Jesus Christ overcomes and has overcome and will overcome forever the darkness. In fact, I can't properly understand the darkness without being aware, mostly, of the light. God is sovereign. We spoke about that last week. So this quick turn at the end, where the language is, instead of indulging these things, and he's outlined love at the beginning, right? He says, put on Christ. Dress yourself with Christ, is I think how Tierney read it from the message. If you remember Genesis... The fall, when Adam and Eve sinned, what's the first thing that God did for them after they sinned? Remember what he did for them? What was it? He clothed them. He made them garments. It's the first sacrifice in Scripture. The first sacrifice in the narrative of Scripture. God clothed them. And right from the beginning of the Bible, all the way to the end, this imagery stands... With what will you be clothed? And the call in the New Testament, even thinking of those Genesis words, is you know what you're to clothe yourself with? You know who you are to clothe yourself with? Clothe yourself with Christ. And the love that he has shown this world. Colossians 3, 12 to 14, a portion of it, as God's chosen ones, holy and deeply loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. So if I take off my suit coat, that's that's the metaphor that's being used. It's like you would put on clothing, put on compassion, put on Jesus Christ. The difference is, when I put this suit coat on, and it's always interesting in a church, sometimes I think it's like being a news anchor. More often than not, I'll wear suits, but it's not because I think there's a uniform, um, and at times, people will get the, oh, it's, it's really nice when you wear a suit. Or I actually like it when you don't wear a suit. It's a little more casual. People feel they can comment. And it's good. I'm not telling you not to. <laughs> I'm just saying that it's obvious that even something like a suit coat will send messages to people about the person wearing the coat. In other words, the way that we think of clothing most often in our world is that clothing makes distinctions. Some of you here, okay, I can tell who you are by what you're wearing. Right? Now, that's a human understanding. It's another revolution, like the word debt. When you put on Christ, you are not making these distinctions and separation between you and other people. Galatians chapter 3, when you are in Christ, when you put on Christ, and that's the language that Galatians will use, listen to the next description. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, I don't think it's like a school uniform, but when you put on Christ, the distinctions are erased. The key distinctions, the way that we make sense of the world are gone. Clothing often highlights or almost always highlights these divisions and distinctions. Did you know that there used to be laws in the Western world that only the wealthy could wear gold thread or lace? And if you were poor, you weren't allowed to wear that. Why? Because somebody might make the terrible mistake of thinking you're not poor. People had to know what? Their place. What does the clothing of Christ do? That your place is the same as everybody else's. It's one who has been loved by God. Put on Christ. Baptist minister in England in the eighteen hundreds, a commentary on this verse said. It takes a lifetime to be clothed with with Jesus. I think that's true. I also think that in Christ we are a new creation. It's that quick and it's that much of an endeavor. The question he says to each of us is have we put off, and this is old language, have we put off the old man, the one that used to exist, the other person, who we used to be in the flesh? Have we put off that person we used to be and are we daily putting on Christ? So you can see how this text has worked itself out. Have this debt always, but know this debt is unto life, the debt of love. And I want you, when you think about debt as Christians, I want you to think this, not saying financial, Todd, you're so irresponsible. I want you to think, isn't debt the greatest thing? Because whenever you say the word debt, from now on as a Christian, I'm going to think that means that I can never repay the debt of love that I have. Change the feeling of the word. And this will be the more excellent way, the way of love. Nobody has really told you this except in maybe hallmark kinds of ways. But if you want to change the world and when you're young, sometimes you can think, boy, you know, I'm, I'm really going to change the world. And sometimes as you're aging and getting older, you think, well, I guess my time is gone. and Or maybe you just mature and realize that you should have thought a little bit or it's better to think differently than you did when you were young. And when you talk about changing the world and going out and accomplishing big things for God, what are you going to put on me on that? You're going to accomplish big things for God. Right away, you're going to tell me it has to do with what you're building, what organizations, what systems, right? And you're going to hold people in higher esteem who build more and do more. I'm a really successful businessman. Really successful. Like, really successful. I win and I win and I win. Scripture says something different. Please hear this. It says something different. It doesn't mean don't endeavor to do great things. Do it. Do it better. Do it more. But if you want to change the world, it's not even primarily that you use your gifts to change the world. So my gift is whatever. Right? My gift is, is singing or art or something. I'm going to pick things that are definitely not my gift. My gift is prophecy or something. And it's through prophecy that I'm going to change the world. No. Go out and use your gift and seek that. But what you will change the world through is demonstrating the love of Christ. And if you forget it, you'll start to see the impact in the circles right around you and beyond. Love is the new way by which the old is overthrown. The Christian revolution of breaking up the way of the world to break up even sin is done by endeavoring to love as Christ loves. And it is not weak. It's the strongest thing you could possibly imagine. And so my question is, will you do it? Will you turn to Jesus Christ? Will you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he is Lord? Or for a Christian, maybe you've been a Christian for years, will you Will you repent? Are you willing to repent? If the minister said to you, I think you should maybe repent, would it only be offensive? Or could the Holy Spirit work in such a way, and I examine myself in this, or would the Holy Spirit work in such a way that you could repent even even of some of the things you want most and say, Lord Jesus Christ, I have forgotten in many ways to love as you love. Final quote to end. Anselm of Canterbury, written in around the year 1060, something like that, a long time ago. What praise, what thanksgiving wilt thou rightly bestow upon him who hath clothed thee with such great beauty, Exalted thee to so great honor that thou canst say with all joy of heart, The Lord hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. It is the highest joy of the angels of God to contemplate Christ and lo, of his boundless condescension, he so far inclineth unto thee as to be pleased to clothe thee with himself. Now go and take up those things that are important to you because we need your help. But always love as Christ loved first. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and speak to our hearts and our minds. Redeem our thoughts. We need one another. We need differences of perspective and opinion and concern. But we need one thing in common, and that is to see your love for us And to love one another and this whole world with that kind of love. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would stir our hearts to repentance. Because many of us have set up idols. Some of these are things that you even called us into. Important things for you. But they become idols. They've led us to be more aware of the differences. More aware of what's missing in somebody else's life. Would you tear down those idols? And leave us with love so that we can pick up the the concerns, the interests of our lives and our heart. But serving in light of what you've done for us, in light of the gospel. What kind of God are you that has turned towards us in Jesus Christ? You are the God of all love and salvation. Forgive us our sins. And if there's somebody in this room who has never prayed to come to Christ, to put your faith in Christ, would you pray? Dear Lord Jesus, I trust you. Open my eyes and open my heart to see the truth of your gospel and change my life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a song that I've asked Bart to do again. I think he's done it once or twice before. And it's not a sing-along song, okay? So I want you to enter into worship by listening. And then we'll close the service. We'll put the words up, but I don't want you to sing them. Um, But this, to me, is a wonderful um, uh, lyric describing the love of Jesus Christ.
1: be but a soul of fate That kind of love It always gives itself away That kind of love Wiser than the wisest sage Its innocence makes me ashamed Till I'm not sure that I can take that kind of love Pride and hatred cannot stand That kind of love Greater love hath no man And that kind of love It won't be kept unto itself Spreads its charm, it casts its spell Till no one's safe this side of hell That kind of love Love rejected, love ignored in chains behind closed doors Stuff of legend and of songs Deep down everybody longs For that kind of love Oh, that kind of love Some people never know That kind of love Well, it only takes a child to show That kind of love Widows smile and strong men weep Little ones play at its feet Oh, the deaf can hear and the blind can see That kind of love Love triumphant, love on fire Love that humbles and inspires Love that does not hesitate Strains that kind of love, oh, that kind of love. How could anyone? From the sky, everything will fall in time except those things that can.
0: gifts of Christian faith looking out at all of you or each of you is that I'm learning when you never stop learning this what it means to say in all gratitude because of the love of Christ I love you sometimes the deepest moments where I pray that or feel that are when I think of somebody who might see things very differently than I do And God will always work on my heart, my mind, Todd. And you get to that place where you can say in prayer, I love them. This is a gift we have for the world. To love one another. I mean, you know it. Scriptural and cliched in song, they'll know we are Christians by our holiness. Oh, oops our love so I'm glad we're in this together let's pray and head downstairs uh, to lunch and the quick and exciting AGM Heavenly Father Father, draw us together in your love forgive us that we repeat often the patterns of this world and and surround ourselves with people who think just like we do we can do that in church I pray a special blessing on people who in this place feel differently than that. Like maybe some of the things that I've said or this gathering itself seems alien. Or Lord, help us to see that we are in this together. And help us to have the desire to reflect, Lord Jesus Christ, your love in this world. And that there is nothing weak about it. Come Holy Spirit. Help us to take up causes even of morality and goodness. Help us to examine ourselves where we have taken this faith and taken the spiritual energy at times and ecstasy out of it. But even as we endeavor to do some very important things, never let us away from the first priority that we are to seek to love as you have loved us. Come, Holy Spirit. We thank you for this time and for the gathering downstairs and for this church and for the future. Because nothing will prevail against your church. We know that. Come, Holy Spirit. Go now into this world and into the challenges in your life. It's not always easy to love, but it is always the Christian call. Go into this world and the challenges and joys of your life knowing Father and Son and Holy Spirit. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name.